What's up, man? This is Joshua Kelly, running back from UCLA, and you're listening to The Podfather. Top 10 takeaways. Oh, week one. Lots, lots to get into. Can't wait. Can't wait. Can't wait. Been, been, been just so eager to get in front of this microphone and talk about what I saw week one. I love the NFL. What a league. Even though there's not a lot of points being scored. Even though a lot of these games stunk. There were still a lot of interesting events and a lot of spectacular plays. And just the skill level of NFL players is just going up and up and up. And I just wanted to acknowledge that, especially in a world where there's less points being scored. We'll get into that in a minute and the impact of the fewer points being scored. But just just want to just want to say, hey, NFL, great job. NFL players, wide receivers, running backs, quarterbacks, defensive players, great job. I mean, awesome. <laughs> I think one hit how many one-headed catches can we be treated to? It used to be Odell Beckham would make this catch behind his head, and it was the greatest thing. Now George Pickens makes a catch like that every day, like every game, every practice. He's making catches like that. I know he's out of bounds. Like in some of these catches they, that are made, like they don't count. Oh, the, the foot was out or the, the, the play was whistled dead. But it's just amazing. It's the feats of athletic brilliance that we're witnessing is, 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 is something special. And Kenneth Gainwell is something special. Kenneth Gainwell is happening. Where's my where's my noisemaker? We gotta get Kenneth Gainwell alert! Bell cow alert! Bell cow alert! Kenny! I never knew you. Right? Now you're Kenneth. Kenneth, right? Kenny was a rotational running back. Kenneth! Kenneth Gainwell is a stud, and I Went to a bunch of my teams. I still have a couple teams with DeAndre Swift. Benched him. I just had a feeling. I was like, listen, why am I starting DeAndre Swift but not Kenneth Gainwell? Why? Is it just because one's ADP was like sixth round in seasonal leagues. The other's ADP in seasonal leagues was like 12th round. Why? Why? Right? So in some leagues, I started Gainwell. Uh, it didn't work out great. It wasn't like, oh, this is a, a big boon. Right? But the usage... 78% opportunity share. Kenneth Gainwell commanded 78% of the running back carries and targets. That's what opportunity share is. And they went on the road to play the Patriots. So everyone in Philadelphia was going to have their fantasy point output muted because they were going on the road to face the Patriots. Good defense. <laughs> All you care about with Kenneth Gainwell is is the opportunity share. And I saw these, these posts on social media. Wow, this is so surprising. This is so crazy that we're seeing all this, we're seeing all this, uh, this usage for Kenneth Gainwell. This is wild. I can't believe it. Who saw this coming? I mean, who had two thumbs all summer? Saw this coming, right? Two thumbs. Two thumbs. I mean, I was so not surprised. So many shocked. I'm sitting there like, yeah, yeah, I benched. DeAndre Swift, because I thought this was how this would play out. So I, you know, at least avoided that. I think in one league, I, I benched DeAndre Swift and started Roshan Johnson, who we'll talk about in a little bit. That worked out well. I ended up starting Roshan Johnson in the Scott Fishbowl, but I also started Antonio Gibson. We'll talk about Roshan and Antonio Gibson in a little bit. 
I have 10 takeaways. So what we're going to do this year is stick to 10 takeaways. As background, this show's been on for, this is like our fourth season. Every year, I, I, I talk about up front, this is the year we're going to stick to 10 takeaways because it's been, oh, the Podfather's 20 takeaways. Here's, here's 17,000 takeaways from last week. The shows would last over an hour. Just me talking about things that I observed or things in the data, 78% opportunity share. I have so many of these stats and so many of these observations. Some of these I just watch the games and it's like, oh, this guy is terrible. He looked terrible. But mostly data, right, of course. But there's so much to talk about. I'm going to get it under control. We have a couple headlines. So we have some headlines. We're going to do headlines, which is Kenneth Gainwell's 78% opportunity share. And these guys are really skilled. So those are, the, those are two headlines with one more headline. So three headlines and then my favorite 10 takeaways ends up being about 13 key points. But if you wanted to do a show, a fantasy show, if you called it 13 key points, that's not going to be nearly as interesting to an audience as top 10 takeaways, right? Top 10 takeaways rolls off the tongue. Top 10 takeaways, top 10 takeaways, top 10 takeaways. 13 interesting observations from the previous week. That's not, see, that's not as good. Three headlines plus 10 takeaways from yesterday, not as good. See, not as good. So we're going to stick to top 10 takeaways, and we're going to get to those top 10 takeaways after the headlines. The other headline is Calvin Ridley is a sell high. I was like, are you going to talk about Calvin Ridley? I see in the chat. You're going to talk about Calvin Ridley? What about Calvin Ridley? Yeah, I saw Calvin Ridley. I wasn't impressed by Calvin Ridley. Calvin Ridley is a classic sell high, especially in Dynasty. It's well past the AJ Pax. But it's also partly because Trevor Lawrence looks like a fake stud. Trevor Lawrence struggled against a shell secondary. This is a prevent defense secondary. There's not a lot of talent, especially in the Indianapolis secondary. This is something that where he should have shredded them, and instead he looked confused. He, he looked out of sorts. This is not a formidable secondary. And you know this because you saw the Calvin Ridley touchdown. They took... You know, a, a 10 yard catch. He should have been dropped, you know, for a first down. Sure. Good. Yeah. First down catch for Calvin Ridley. And he just, he walked another 20 yards for a touchdown with guys just falling down all around him. It was like a Truman Show game for Calvin Ridley. His average target depth was 9.0. Like it was, he was an underneath receiver. And when you play against one of these, cover two shell defenses the underneath receiver gets peppered with targets and you're hoping he can have a an outlier yak performance or yak uh, catch and run for a touchdown and he gave you that he gave you that otherwise it was going to be a fairly low calorie high target performance except for that one touchdown where it just looked like the producers of a television show were like Psh, are we, we need to have calvin really score a touchdown here Psh. but he is a he has a, a sell high because this is a weapon-rich offense. Now, even if Trevor Lawrence is overrated, which I think he is, it's official after this week, I mean, he's overrated. This was, he's not Peyton Manning, man. And seeing him in Indianapolis, not being Peyton Manning was cool, right? Definitely not Peyton Manning. Never will be Peyton Manning. Won't even be Justin Herbert. He's not even Justin Herbert. So I was embarrassed for him. Right, they won the game, but it, it was not impressive. They're going to win a lot of these games. There's going to be a lot of unimpressive Trevor Lawrence performances this year where they win. So get ready for that. The guy that was most impressive among the skill positions was Zay Jones. 
Zay Jones had the spectacular catches. Zay Jones was the one operating more down the field. And Evan Ingram had a 100% catch rate. This is even before we talk about Christian Kirk. Christian Kirk was a 1,000-yard receiver last year. Christian Kirk is a downfield playmaker. He's a quality player, right? And he just wasn't used. He was never going to be heavily targeted against the Colts. They take that away. So they decided to take away Christian Kirk and let the other guys beat them. And the other guys did beat them. Congratulations. But that that is that is the definition of a sell-high candidate is what we saw from Calvin Ridley. Woof. Woof. Michael Pittman, on the other hand, was phenomenal. Michael Pittman, with a rookie quarterback, crushed. And he crushed in all the, the, the metrics that you want. He crushed because he was getting down the field. His, his target depth was higher than Ridley's. His target share was 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 just as dominant as Ridley's and the the other options in this passing game are Josh Downs, Alec Pierce is not good, right? Alec Pierce was a very popular late round best ball pick and I never understood that. I'm like this is going to be a lower volume offense with a rookie quarterback. Why are you investing in the second or third wide receiver option in that offense in a run first or rookie quarterback led offense you just want the primary option that's it that's it right and if you don't know who the primary option is going to be stay away the carolina passing game stay away right maybe hayden hurst maybe otherwise stay away just you 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 don't have to be a hero you can just stay away from these passing games and but with indianapolis it was clear that Pittman is the alpha and he is one of the true undisputed alphas in the league that makes him a buy high. That it's only going to get better as Richardson continues to evolve and develop this role that Michael Pittman has, the locked alpha and a big time outside playmaker who does get down the field. That's not going to change. He's many years younger than Calvin Ridley. This is a buy high moment for Michael Pittman in all formats. It's a sell high moment for Calvin Ridley in all formats. And unlike Trevor Lawrence, Anthony Richardson actually exceeded expectations. He's now on pace for 170 rush attempts. That's more than we projected. That We projected Anthony Richardson for nine rush attempts per game. He's exceeded that expectation. Now, he also got hurt at the end of the game. Not a severe injury. There wasn't a, a significant twist to the, to the leg. It was just, it, it, it was the totality of the impacts Eventually, he was just exhausted and in pain with a contusion. He was like, listen, I don't want to get up. <laughs> this is miserable. So it's possible that they decide, okay, we're going we're gonna to make a concerted effort to have him run less. But also, Gardner Minshew took snaps. So he didn't even play the full game, and he still, he still gave you the 10 rush attempts, which is what you want. He also took care of the football for the majority of the game. Until they were pressing at the end, he hadn't had a turnover. No fumbles, no interceptions. He had a clean game until the end, which is all you could ever ask for. All you could ever ask for. So Richardson exceeding expectations. Trevor Lawrence missed expectations. I know Joe Burrow missed expectations, but I'm giving Joe Burrow a mulligan because he had all three forces working against him. It was a good defense. It was on the road and it was bad weather, right? So for Joe Burrow, I don't care. Maybe, you know, he also... Didn't have a full preseason of work. So for a bunch of reasons, 
I, 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 I'm not putting any weight behind what Joe Burrow did in week one, but I am, I am encouraged in that in a similar difficult environment, especially with the weather that Deshaun Watson would perform well, put up big fantasy points using his legs. He's, he's not the thrower that we saw in Houston. He's just not, I don't know what, if he ever will be, but I was encouraged. At least you're encouraged. You're, you're going downfield to Elijah Moore. And then the question is, it's an open question, right? Same targets. A few more yards for Elijah Moore. Their usage was the same. Elijah Moore's younger, more juice. Also a phenomenal SEC receiver. Is Elijah Moore the true number one in Cleveland? This is this is TBD. This is TBD. And now I have my top 10. Those are my headlines. Those are my big, big, those are the big takeaways. Like those are big takeaways. But now I have 10 more takeaways, the top 10 takeaways, in addition to the big takeaways after this. Hey, we're all starting new fantasy leagues all the time. And more often than not, where do we start our fantasy leagues at Player Profiler? On Sleeper. Because it's the best. You can imagine my excitement when I saw Sleeper rolled out. Sleeper picks, baby. Now, you know I love Kenny Pickett, right? Week one, who does he face? San Francisco. That's a bummer. So I'm going to be going less than on Kenny Pickett's projected yardage and on whichever quarterback is starting for San Francisco in week one. <laughs> Probably not Trey Lance. <laughs> but then who do the Steelers face in week two? Ah, the Browns, right? We think the Browns are going to crank things up. So there you can say, hey, Kenny Pickett, more than his projected passing yards. And you keep on correlating. Elijah Moore, more than. George Pickens, more than. And if you pick up to eight, that's how you 100x your payout on Sleeper. It's called the Hail Mary. So if you use promo code UNDERWORLD, you get a $100 instant deposit match. Check out Sleeper's terms and conditions for details. These Sleeper picks are live in over 25 states. Yeah, buddy. George Pickens, more than. Right? That was recorded in May. That, that Sleeper promotion video recorded in May. Let that sink in. Just everybody let that sink in. That was recorded in May. And we will get to Kenny Pickett. Oh, we, we, we'll talk Kenny Pickett. Don't worry. There's been questions about Kenny Pickett. What about Kenny Pickett? How do you feel about Kenny Pickett now? How do things change? <laughs> this is so, so stupid. So stupid. There are certain elements of the week one performances that matter and that will change your assumptions moving forward about these players. There are actionable items. There are. We'll talk about them today. But this idea that Kenny Pickett was a big disappointment in week one, and, we, and, and now we, we've it's, it's determined, okay, he's now in year two. We're now in year two of the Kenny Pickett experiment. He's a failure, and sell. Uh, but Jordan Love is amazing. Get all the Jordan Love, sell all the Kenny Pickett. See, that, that would be doing it wrong. See, that would be overreacting to week one. So we don't do that. So my, my takeaway number 10, right? We'll, go, we'll count it down to one. Takeaway number 10, the NFL's offensive renaissance is over. It's over. It's finished. Uh, I wish that this wasn't true, but it is. They get we had 13 touchdowns in the first half of the 1 p.m. game. 13. That's it in the first half of the 1 p.m. games. Okay. Here's another way to look at it. How many games went over 45 points so far? So far, we still have uh, Bills Jets, which should hit right at the 45 point threshold. Three, three, three games went over 45, three, three games, nine games, nine 
had 40 or less points scored. Three versus nine. What does that tell you? That NFL teams are have adjusted to the offensive renaissance that we've seen the last few years. Remember in the COVID year in 2020, offenses were at an advantage because defenses had less time to prepare. And generally speaking, the more time to prepare and the more time you have in the film room, the defenses will often do better. And there's been this this slow eroding of the, the point scoring potential of NFL offenses over the last few years. And I think now we're seeing a bottoming out, a bottoming out, which makes stacking all the more important. We had a show on Roto-Grinders last year, Dario and I, with Eric Bimefor called The Stack Fest. And it was all about, hey, just find a couple games where all the points are going to get scored and just pile into those games in DFS. Find the shootouts and focus on the shootouts. And that's all you need to do. Like Dolphins Chargers, 70 points scored. Focus all your attention there, right? But the problem is half of the plays the Chargers called, even in a shootout, even in a shootout, they lost. The Chargers lost a shootout where 70 points were scored, and yet, and yet, they still called 50% run, 50% pass, right? 50% of the plays called were run plays. That doesn't make any sense. Like, how is that even possible when you look at the score and you, you, you are living in this world that we thought so many teams are you know, they're going to pass at a 70% rate based on a couple of years ago. The trends from a couple of years ago were, were, we're going to be at 80% pass rate soon. The correction has gone in the other direction. This is, the trend hasn't continued. It's been a, a total correction. We're now that we, they're back to balance. NFL's back to being a balanced offense again. This is what the NFL does. This is why the NFL's most popular sport is that there's always a balance and that nothing ever gets so out of control, trends one way or the other, that it ruins the integrity of the sport. There's a self-fulfilling integrity to this sport, which makes it the most popular in the country. And one of those things is this balance between running and passing. Takeaway number nine. We are going to see Will Levis or Malik Willis before Halloween. Just look at DeAndre Hopkins' body language. Okay, Marshawn Lattimore is not a top five cornerback in the league. The Saints are not a top five secondary in the league. But Ryan Tannehill looked incompetent. He looked incompetent. And even his throwing motion looked, he was like, he was catapulting the ball out there, pushing it out there. It looked pathetic. Like I felt bad for for Ryan Tannehill. I was like, something's wrong with him. He's he's forgotten how to throw a football. He just looked lost. He looked dazed and confused. And just struggles to throw the football on time accurately. I mean, go back, look at all the throw windows that he missed. How many balls were actually in a throw window that did not require a spectacular, like reaching behind him catch by DeAndre Hopkins. Most of the targets went to DeAndre Hopkins. That's something that we expected. DeAndre Hopkins uh, stays in fantastic shape in the offseason. So he is going to age gracefully. He is going to continue to be the alpha there. And this is one of those offenses, a run-first offense, an anemic run-first offense where all you care about is the alpha. So why anyone was drafting Traylon Burks on a wing and a prayer, I don't understand. Traylon Burks is a bust. Jamison Williams is a bust. There's always going to be bust wide receivers from every draft class. Just so happens that in last year's draft class, Burks and Williams are looking the most busterific. We'll talk about Drake London in a minute. Also not great for Drake London. But whether it'll be Malik Willis or Will Levis, I'm not sure. My sense is that even though Will Levis was inactive, 
the team wants it to be Will Levis. He has more draft capital. And if the team is trying to develop the future, I think they, they view Will Levis as the future. If they continue to lose games, it's going to be Levis around Halloween. If they start to win games and turn things around, then Malik Willis gives you the better chance to win games with his mobility. So I think that'll be the determining factor. Whatever the the Titans' record is a month from now or a month and a half from now, that will determine whether it is Malik Willis or Will Levis. But it's going to be one of those two guys that we know. It's not going to be Ryan Tannehill. He's gone. I mean, he is already dead. He is one of the he is the dead quarterback walking. Takeaway number eight, backup running backs are a thing now because so many teams are correcting and going back to running the football 50% or more of the offensive snaps. And that means that bell cow backs can't carry the full workload. It's impossible. So this is how you have backup running backs like Joshua Kelly and Tyler Algier crushing, crushing. I mean, the Chargers had a 66% rushing success rate. We talked to Dan Fornick. They have one of the best run-blocking offensive lines in the league, as do the Falcons, which is one of the reasons why they're backup running backs. So if you have a great run-blocking offensive line, you shouldn't be surprised when the backup running backs or the, or the 1B running backs perform better than other 1B running backs around the league. There's a reason why Joshua Kelly and Tyler Algier crushed Zamir White. Zamir White's a proper handcuff. He's only going to be relevant behind a poor offensive line, a poor run-blocking offensive line, if Josh Jacobs suffers an injury. But Joshua Kelly, Tyler Algier, they can have standalone value. I didn't think that was going to be true of Joshua Kelly. I knew that Tyler Algier, especially early in the season, early on, the coaches indicated he would have standalone value. I know that Austin Eckler has expressed concern about his workload, and he wants Joshua Kelly to have standalone value. I just didn't know if the Chargers would unleash him and have him uh, take half the carries, but they did. Yeah, half the carries go to Joshua Kelly, including some red zone carries, and, and this is important. If you're a coach that has a running back that you can trust in the red zone with good ball security, I know you want your stud to get touchdowns. And I know that Austin Eckler and B. John Robinson want to score touchdowns, but it's not in their best interest. If you have short yardage in the red zone, you're better off giving it to Algier, giving it to Joshua Kelly, and not exposing your stud running backs, your star running backs to these goal line carries. These goal line carries are the most brutal where the, the, the collisions are just coming from every direction. So it is smart. It's smart for the Falcons to run Algier on the goal line if they trust his ball security and allow Bijan to operate in areas of the field and in the passing game where he can have more value, add more value to the offense. That's not great for fantasy football. Fantasy gamers don't want that. They want Bijan to get every touch inside the five. Got to go to Bijan. But it doesn't matter what fantasy gamers want. It matters what's best for the team. And what's best for the team is a Joshua Kelly and a Tyler Algier getting these red zone and green zone and gold zone touches. It just, that is true, whether fantasy gamers like it or not. And we're going to see a ton of running backs be fantasy buys in seasonal leagues and dynasty over the next two or three weeks as more and more and more fantasy gamers realize the value of non-starter running backs and how run heavy the NFL is becoming. And if you're not the true number one, then, and especially if you're not the true number one in a run first attack, like a Traylon Burks, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. That even applies to Drake London. Drake London, not the number one. It's Kyle Pitts. So Drake London 
was a dynasty sell before the season. We talked about it on the Sonic Truth show. Why Drake London is a dynasty sell. Why you need to put him on the block and see what you can get. This is why. He's just lost a bunch of dynasty value today. He did. He has less dynasty value today than he did yesterday. That's just what happens with young players when they have one target for zero yards. And everyone comes to this collective realization, oh, this isn't going to change anytime soon. This is this is their identity in, in Atlanta. Yeah, guys. Like we didn't talk about this 17 different ways all summer. But there's going to be these 1B running backs. Tajay Spears out-targeted Traylon Burks. He's interesting. Samaj Piran was the receiving leader for his team. A.J. Dillon, 15 touches. Roshan Johnson, 7 targets. Even my man, Chuba Hubbard, 11 touches. And a critical Miles Sanders fumble. So again, Miles Sanders, he signed a significant deal. Anything for running back well over $10 million is the insurance that they need. The role insurance, right? So there's no way Miles Sanders is suddenly going to wake up and, oh, Chuba Hubbard's out-touching him in week two, week three. No, no, no. The contract by itself ensures that Miles Sanders is going to be the primary back, right? This is the difference between the contract that Miles Sanders signed versus Rashad Penny. Rashad Penny signed like a $1 million deal and we didn't see him. Where was Rashad Penny? Ah, the million bucks. But if Miles Sanders is going to sign for you know, some fake 20 plus million dollar deal, then that's that's role insurance. But it's a rookie quarterback. Their identity is run first. Their offensive line is better at run blocking than pass blocking. So Chuba Hubbard is going to have weeks. He's going to have explosive runs. He's going to be active in the passing game. He's going to have plenty of games where he commands more targets than Miles Sanders. Miles Sanders caught as many targets this week as he did all last year with the Eagles. And that's not true, but it feels like it, right? And with Roshan Johnson, I mean, this Bears defense is in transition and they're going to be throwing a lot. So Roshan Johnson is going to keep gobbling up the targets. But knowing how bad the Bears defense is, where they're getting blown out by Jordan Love, do I think Jordan Love is elite all of a sudden? No. I think I think that he is a game manager with a, with, a, with a nice throwing arm, right? He's a, a game manager with a hose. That's that's Jordan Love. I don't think Jordan Love's ever, ever going to be a guy that they, they really trust to carry the offense. That game was won by their defense in Green Bay. So what does this mean for the Bears? Well, uh, Justin Fields had 37 pass attempts because their defense is not the Green Bay defense. Their defense is in transition. The whole team is in transition. The, the offense is further along than the defense. Still one of the worst defenses in the league. Was the worst defense, the best defense to play against in fantasy, and one of the worst defenses in the league overall last year. That was Chicago. And it takes multiple years to rebuild the defense. So they're still in the same predicament where they can't stop anybody. And what does that mean? Justin Fields is going to throw, 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 throw. Oh, but I only had his, his target depth. He kept everything short. They still, they still don't trust him. Well, what do you want? Because I heard all offseason that he's not going to throw. And now he throws, and that's not good enough. Now he needs to throw down the field. Maybe we wait a week or two and just enjoy the fact that he got 37 pass attempts before we pile on yet more criticism. I, d I don't understand. 
the profile of the Justin Fields hater. I don't understand this person. I don't understand what they're doing, what, what, what the motivations are. Enjoy the 37 pass attempts and shut up. Shut, this is not what you thought. You told me, hater man, that he was going to throw 25 times a game. Well, now you're wrong. And, and, and so, but you're rationalizing. It's like, oh, but, but there are dink and dunk passes. And it was a lot of negative game script. Yeah, no, the whole case was there's going to be a lot of negative game script this year. And we're seeing it. And there's going to be some downfield throws to Mooney and downfield throws to DJ Moore. So, yes, you're buying low on DJ Moore. DJ Moore is a, a phenomenal buy low candidate, especially because he was outproduced dramatically by Darnell Mooney. It's hard to find a better buy low candidate. In terms of the receivers of this caliber, the alphas around the league, Michael Pittman is a buy high. DJ Moore is the perfect buy low. This is what you want. A team in transition where their offense is better than their defense. They have a mobile quarterback throwing the ball 37 times a game. If you just knew that detail, that's it. That's the detail. You'd be so happy. But they didn't score a lot of points. And most of these passes were short. And it helped guess who? Oh, Roshan Johnson, right? And in preseason, one of those short passes, DJ Moore took for a 50-yard touchdown with yards after the catch on a bubble screen. Everyone seemed pretty happy then. Those are coming. Just wait. This is one of the best defenses in the league. Packers were a great defense last year, and all they did was invest more capital into the defense this year in the draft. First-round pick, edge rusher. So what? What? what is the problem? What? What? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I can't believe the social media hate around Justin Fields. I couldn't believe it when I saw it. That was one thing. I was like, okay, I'm going to look around on social media, and I'm sure something's going to trigger me, and I'm not sure what it was. What is it going to be? I don't know. And then, okay. Okay. All right. Fine. You don't, you don't like Justin Fields. Okay. Okay, great. But yeah, Packers invested in Lucas Van Ness, and it was predictable. This wasn't the week to have Justin Fields carrying your fantasy team. This was something we knew. This was all known. This was a known known, right? This was not the week, as the podfather, me, stated in a, a promotion for Sleeper months ago. This was also not the week to start your Steelers. That's observation number six. Takeaway number six. Same exact principle applies to the Bears and the Steelers. These are your buy low players. They had difficult matchups in week one. And it gets easier from here. And that is it. And especially George Pickens, because Deontay Johnson suffered a severe hamstring injury. He went down. He went down hard and immediately. His day was over. He was ruled out immediately. He's going to be out at least two weeks. Calvin Austin was getting targets before the injuries. Very important. Calvin Austin was on the field commanding targets before the Deontay Johnson injury. Calvin Austin runs a 4-2. And... They're, he's only going to face easier defenses moving forward. Calvin Austin is a guy I'm picking up in all deep leagues. But George Pickens is the guy that it, this could end up creating a league-winning situation for George Pickens. It's great for Fryermuth. It's just bad for Deontay Johnson. It is. It is. But Steelers and Bears, these are your two best sources for buy-low options in fantasy football. Takeaway number five, Antonio Gibson is dead and buried. I love Antonio Gibson, but he had a 10% rush share. He had one target on the same route participation percentage as Brian Robinson, and his usage declined after his fumble, where they brought in Chris Rodriguez, even in the red zone. 
Antonio Gibson fumbled six times in 2021, and that's why they drafted Brian Robinson in the first place. So why they draft Brian Robinson? Because of those 2021 fumbles. Gibson brought the fumbles down to one fumble last year, but it's a terrible way to start the season. If there's ever a, a, a player you didn't want to see fumbling, it was Antonio Gibson in week one. He does fumble, and it's terrible news. And Ron Rivera did the thing you expect him to do, which is just to bench the player, put in Chris Rodriguez, and just the ultimate fuck you to everybody that loves talent in the league. Ron Rivera did what Ron Rivera does. And knowing this, this is why drops matter, why fumbles matter, because we know that they influence coaching decisions and usage. Antonio Gibson is not even startable in the deepest of leagues. He's droppable, and he's gonna he's, his dynasty value is, is, is also in danger because... Every year is precious for running backs in Dynasty, and if you just you can't just write off 2023 for Antonio Gibson. Yes, he's going to be on a different team next year that appreciates him, just like Miles Sanders on a different team this year, right? That appreciates him. Well, just like next year, Miles Sanders fumbled. Antonio Gibson might fumble in Week One again next year, and that team will appreciate him because they will have signed him for ten plus million dollars. Maybe, hopefully, probably, maybe not. I don't know. But that's the hope in Dynasty. That's why his, his value is not going to totally collapse because we know he has a future somewhere else, like Miles Sanders. When Miles Sanders was struggling so much in Philadelphia with the ankle injury, with Kenneth Gainwell usurping him in the playoffs, his Dynasty value on our Dynasty Deluxe package, it didn't just go to zero. And that's not going to happen with Antonio Gibson either. But for this year, for this year, buried, buried. And I wouldn't even think about buying low on him until later in the season for next year. But eventually he's going to be a buy a buy low option for next year based on what we saw with Miles with Miles Sanders. Miles Sanders fumbled and it didn't matter, right? Eventually Antonio Gibson will be respected by the team that he's on eventually. Takeaway number 4. Alexander Madison is also a buy low. This sounds crazy, right? But my assessment of Alexander Madison was based on his last two seasons which were inefficient where he looked sluggish. He looked very much alive. If you go back and watch the touchdown catch, that was vintage Alexander Madison. And Ty Chandler's usage was well below expectations. So you have an opportunity here where Madison didn't light up the box score, but when you look at the comparative usage between he and Chandler, it was very encouraging for Madison. And you look at how he played, how he looked, even though he didn't put up the big yardage numbers, he looked like himself. He looked like... 2020 Alexander Madison, which hurts me to say, right? It's like, oh, take lock on Calvin Ridley. No, man. No. I said, do not draft Calvin Ridley. Do not draft Alexander Madison. Am I saying the same thing about them after week one? No. I'm actually saying something totally counterintuitive, which is Alexander Madison didn't light up the box score, but I liked how he looked and how he was used. Calvin Ridley did light up the box score, and I haven't changed my opinion of him. Because of the situation. You can evaluate each situation independently for what it is. And the players for what they are. That's the opposite of take lock. It's hard to have conviction, but also have flexible opinions based on the information. Be a Bayesian. How do you have conviction if you're a Bayesian? That is the line to walk in fantasy football as an analyst. And hell, if I don't do a great job, I'm, I'm, I'm awesome at it. What can I tell you? I piss excellence. I do. And there's almost no one that is as adept at following that line, that tightrope, between being flexible, being a Bayesian, allowing new information to change your assumptions, as I am with Alexander Madison, 
But with Calvin Ridley, get out of here. Get out of here, not happening. And I'm just devastated for Evan Hall. That's takeaway number three. We're almost to one. We're almost there. Takeaway number three, Evan Hall, devastating. Devastating. The worst luck. Because Deion Jackson looked horrible. He was inefficient. He was missing running lanes. He was fumbling. He was trying to give the game away. And they brought in Evan Hall. And then boom, he gets injured and he's out for the game. And now we don't know when he's going to be back. And he just, he had the opportunity. It was there. It was presented for him. And then just taken away at that last moment. J.K. Dobbins also looked fantastic until he didn't. He was going to score those, those Justice Hill touchdowns. He was in there. He was rolling. And then I looked like a rolled ankle in real time, but it was actually the ruptured Achilles. And Justice Hill is why Player Profiler exists. So you can go and find out, oh, Justice Hill is an 82nd percentile speed score. Justice Hill was more productive at Oklahoma State than Chris Carson when they played together. And Chris Carson was a bell cow in Seattle for a couple of years. Justice Hill's still young. And what's funny, what's funny is I sat down to do a handcuffs video for YouTube. And two of the players I was considering were Joshua Kelly and Justice Hill. And they don't get any attention on social media. And they weren't being drafted in traditional fantasy leagues, only in deep best ball leagues. So I was convinced that for relevancy, I should focus on other players. Players, I mean, I believe in. Of course, my number one and number two were Roshan Johnson and Kenneth Gainwell. So I'm, I'm looking prescient based on the usage and the, and the fantasy points they scored in week one. Of course, I look great, but it would have been nice. It would have been nice to have Hill on there or, or Joshua Kelly on there. I happen to have them everywhere. I happen to be truthers of those two players openly, but can't say that I, I had the conviction that their ADPs would skyrocket or there would be an injury in week one, that I could tout them in August for casual fantasy gamers to draft. I wasn't saying, hey, casual fantasy gamer, right? Playing in a 10-team league against your friends, go draft Justice Hill. As much as I love Justice Hill and always have believed in him and continue to stash him in every dynasty league, at no point was I like, hey, you need to reach 50 spots and get Kelly and get Hill. Maybe next year. Maybe maybe next year I'll actually develop some courage and go completely out into outer space for my sleepers. I'm hoping I can. I, I want to. I, want, I mean, I did it once, right? I did it once. Because actually, when I recorded the sleeper wide receiver video, Marvin Mims was not being drafted in most leagues, only in best ball. And then all these things happen. The Jerry Judy injury happens. And his ADP was a helium balloon. And then he became just such a prescient sleeper later in the summer. But that was one where I was like, no, I'm, I'm actually not going to include him. But I'm going to talk about him at the beginning of the video. I'm going to find an excuse to... to incorporate Marvin Mims into this, even if he's not technically on the list. Joshua Kelly and Justice Hill, for all of you, no, they weren't on the list of the top handcuffed sleeper running backs because, you know, at least now for the, and for the foreseeable future, most people don't play in deep fantasy leagues. You and I do, right? I'm looking at you and you and you and you and you and you and you. We play in deep leagues. We play dynasty predominantly, but that's not... Most people, yet, 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 because I love talking about Joshua Kelly and I love talking about Justice Hill and explosiveness matters. 
explosiveness matters. If you have to pick up one of these two guys, it ain't Gus Edwards. It's Justice Hill. Puka Nakua is not explosive. He's a sub-athlete. He's one of the least athletic wide receivers we've seen in recent memory. Yes, he's playing the Cooper Cup role. I understand that. Yes, he got 15 targets. I get that. Sure, sure. But a player is not his role, right? Roles don't generate fantasy points. You can put me in that role and I'll catch zero passes for zero yards and zero touchdowns. Fuck the role. Role doesn't matter, right? If you're good, you're good. Game knows game. So as it turns out, Pukunuku is pretty good. He's pretty good. And he would be good in whatever role they put him in. If he's starting and he's running routes, he's going to get targets. Doesn't matter which route tree they decide to slot him into. That's a total fallacy. However, he's not that good, right? He's not Jarvis Landry 2.0. Because in order for you to get excited about him in Dynasty, you have to believe that he's the next Jarvis Landry. Because that's the last player that had Nakua's level of athleticism that was a consistent fantasy producer year in, year out. We're talking about a a once every 20 years athletic void wide receiver. That's the precedent that you're going up against. That's the headwind facing Puka Nakua, as well as the fact that this offense is a total fraud. Whatever you saw is not reality in week one. This is is all going to come crashing down around Matthew Stafford and I don't believe Sean McVay is going to finish the year as the coach of the Rams. And in this environment, it's going to be very difficult for a possession receiver like Pukunakua, a true possession receiver. Like Cooper Cup actually has some athleticism. He has upper percentile agility score. He has some juice that Nakua never will. So Pukunakua is never going to be Cooper Cup or anything close. He won't even be Jarvis Landry. So if you have him, put him on the block in Dynasty immediately. See what you can flip him for. Can you get a second rounder next year? Do it. That's my first move. If I had a Nakua, I would try to get a second rounder next year. Thank me later. Right now. But again, he is a good player. He's a good football player. It's not necessarily the role that I care about. It's the athletic profile. Let him play that role. Maybe even have a few more good games. And then suddenly your competitors get distracted and they forget that he has no burst. No explosiveness. He's not athletic at all. And he's not ever going to be anything more than a 900-yard receiver in his career. He's Willie Sneed. Willie Sneed had these kinds of games in New Orleans with Drew Brees. He did. And you were better off trading him after one of those games, if you could, for a second rounder. I know there were trades that happened in fantasy football where Willie Sneed was sent to another team for a second round pick. That's a thing that happened. Do it if you can. Or if you can't, wait. Don't accept a third rounder. Because again, Cooper Cup is on the IR. Nakua is a solid football player. In this environment, he's going to keep getting targets. This is not a team that's going to be leading in many games moving forward. They're going to have negative game scripts. They do have Matthew Stafford, who's looking healthier than he did last year. Things are lining up for Nakua to have a productive September. October even. So don't run out and, and, and deal him now. Unless you can get a second rounder. A second rounder is where I, 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 would, I would push the button. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But most savvy dynasty leaguers aren't going to give you a second rounder now after week one. You're, they're going to need to see a little more. And once they give you that, do it. Now, you might have been waiting for this. Maybe, I don't know. 
we started off with the, the players that I knew that you knew that I was going to talk about Kenneth Gainwell, Calvin Ridley, but there's been a player, a rookie wide receiver that we haven't talked about yet. And I have one more observation, right? And we're, we're almost to an hour. We're not going to ever have an hour show. I, we're not going to have an hour show. This is going to be less than an hour. I can promise you that we are done after this. This is the end. This is the final observation. And it's, and it's a player that I said, do not draft. And I've been critical of, and now more than ever, I am certain he is a bust because one of these first round wide receivers is going to bust. That's true. It's going to be one. Who's it going to be right? We've never had a year where you had four, five, six wide receivers drafted in a class and all of them hit. That's never, that's never happened. So either we have a historic wide receiver class for all time, or I'm right because Five targets for Jackson Smith and Jigba and Tyler Lockett's injured. So Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to have some nuclear weeks. That's a guy I'd try to trade for if I can get him. I, again, savvy managers aren't going to get, let you trade for Jackson Smith and Jigba, but he would be a target. Six targets for Jordan Addison. He's only going to get more and more acclimated. The snap shares and the route participation between he and KJ Osborne will flip over the next couple weeks. K.J. Osborne is very much the Ola B.C. Johnson uh, of uh, this year's Minnesota Vikings. So look for more and more involvement from Addison. I was very, very encouraged by what I saw. Ten targets for Zay Flowers. He's the alpha. Told you this. And Quinton Johnston. Ah, Quinton Johnston. Got those three targets. You have to think that they were, they were going to him the whole time, the whole way, right? Less than ten yards on those targets. With Mike Williams missing a significant part of the game, this was the week. This was they scored seventy points. This was a big breakout game for Quinton Johnston, right? Mike Mike Williams leaves. They're in comeback mode. It's up and down the field. Where was Quinton Johnston? Where was he? He was nowhere because he can't play. He's a bust. He was out snapped by Josh Palmer. Palmer ran many more routes, and unlike Jordan Addison versus K.J. Osborne, Quinton Johnston does not have the route inventory to justify surpassing Josh Palmer on the depth chart like Jordan Addison does. So this was a window into this wide receiver class. Zay Jones, going to exceed expectations this year. Jackson Smith and Jigba, Jordan Addison, going to meet expectations. And Quinton Johnston will flame out in epic fashion and will be dropped in Dynasty at some point next year. Now, everyone's going to hold on, but he's going to be dropped in Dynasty at some point next year. One player had some under-the-radar usage for Dynasty. This player is going to put up 10 times as many fantasy points in his career as Quinton Johnston. This was a third-round pick. Michael Wilson, unlike Quinton Johnston, is great at football. Now, he didn't produce much more than Quentin Johnston did, right? Usage, production, similar. But Michael Wilson, a third-round pick, Michael Wilson had Joshua Dobbs as his quarterback. Michael Wilson was on the field and targeted multiple times in crunch time at the end of the game. So that is why you tune in to get these kinds of under-the-radar observations from the data from my studies, from the analytics department at playerprofiler.com, Michael Wilson had the under-the-radar impressive performance 
There's going to be much, much more to come from him. And I just don't see much more coming from Quinton Johnston. Ron Rivera did the thing you expect him to do, which is just to bench the player, put in Chris Rodriguez, and just the ultimate fuck you to everybody. Gain alert! Bell cow alert! Bell cow alert! Kenny was a rotational running back. Kenneth, Kenneth Gainwell is a stud. Because I heard all offseason that he's not gonna throw. And now he throws, and that's not good enough. Now he needs to throw down the field. Maybe we wait a week or two and just enjoy the fact that he got 37 pass attempts before we pile on yet more criticism. I, d I don't understand. Here's, here's 17,000 takeaways from last week. This is their identity in, in Atlanta. Yeah, guys, like we didn't talk about this 17 different ways. That's not going to change. George Pickens more than... How do you have conviction if you're a Bayesian? That is the line to walk in fantasy football as an analyst and hell if i don't do a great job I, I'm, I'm, I'm awesome at it i piss excellence